O God of all time and space, be with us on this most holy night in which we are surrounded by the glory, grace, and wonder of Jesus' resurrection. Amen. This is the night that rings out with those notes of the same old song of God's glory, grace, and wonder. And when I say that it's the same old song, that is not a bad thing. In a world in which so many things are passing away, it is good to have something that abides. And that is what this night is about. While, of course, C.S. Lewis' Narnia series is not scripture, it often points to the same truths of scripture. At the creation of Narnia, we read that the Christ figure, the lion Aslan, sang all things into existence. Lewis writes, In the darkness, something was happening at last. A voice had begun to sing. It seemed to come from all directions at once. Sometimes he almost thought it was coming out of the earth beneath them. Its lower notes were deep enough to be the voice of the earth herself. There were no words. It was hardly a tune. But it was beyond comparison. The most beautiful sound he had ever heard. It was so beautiful he could hardly bear it. Now, I have no evidence that when God created that it was through a song, but I bet that it was. And ever since then, that same old song of God's glory, grace, and wonder has been echoing throughout time and space. And there are particular moments in which we can more easily hear this song of love and align ourselves with it. These are the moments that we describe as holy, and those are what this night is full of. This is the night on which Christians gather around the Easter fire to hear the same old song of God's redemption. It began in the exalted, an ancient hymn that goes back to at least the 300s at the celebration of the Easter vigil. This ancient and lovely prayer connects us to saints around the globe and across time. This is the night on which we remember that time is not as firm as we think that it is. We do not remember things on this night. We do not imagine what it must have been like at some point in the past. No, this is the night. As the exultant prays, this is the night when Israel was led out of Egypt. This is the night when Christ broke the bonds of death and hell. And because God is bigger than space and time, when we encounter God, we are swept up in that sense of timelessness. And so it is true that this is the night of God's salvation. 
As we find ourselves in the midst of these holy moments, we encounter three things, glory, grace, and wonder. Glory, meaning an experience of God's magnificence and grandeur that is beyond human potential. By grace, we mean that we are brought into this holiness, not by our deserving, but by God's gift. And wonder is about our response of being swept up in this love of God that is making all things well. Each of the vigil readings orients us towards these truths. This is the night on which God sang all things into being. God spoke to nothingness and something happened. Because of God's creativity, nothing became something. And not just something, but all things. That is the glory of this night and it is full of grace. There was nothing to deserve being. And yet it was the outpouring of the love between the Father, Son, and Spirit that made all things. Creation tells us one of the notes of this same old song of salvation is that with God, truly anything is possible. Because even when nothing was possible, something happened. No matter how bad the situation, God has worked with far less. No matter how lifeless and hopeless we find ourselves, God's creative power to make all things assures us that God can also make all things new. This is the night on which Noah, his family, and all the creeping things leave the ark and walk again on dry ground. How glorious it is that God never abandons us. Though humanity was wicked and growing wickeder by the generation, we are here because of God's love that can never be drowned. The grace we see here is in that God chose to save all of creation through Noah. Now I realize that Genesis says that Noah was righteous, but that does not mean that he was perfect. Far from it. If you want to know why, just keep reading through Genesis sometime, and you will quickly see that Noah and his children were not exactly the examples of righteousness that we might expect them to be. God does not save us because we deserve it, but rather because that is what love does. Love must act. And the wonder of this night is that God does indeed act. And we are given signs of God's salvation all around us. Sometimes it looks like a dove carrying an olive branch. Maybe it looks like a small piece of bread and a chalice, perhaps a note or a text from a friend, a rainbow in the sky, or blooming azaleas. But if we have eyes to see it, we will be filled with the wonder of God's salvation that is written into the very being of life. This is the night on which the Lord drove back the sea and led the people of Israel into freedom on dry ground. How glorious it is that this same old song of God's salvation reminds us that God seems to rather like 
making a way out of no way. When we are stuck between a rock and a hard place, between the Red Sea and Pharaoh's army, between two seemingly bad options, God makes a way forward, even when we cannot see one. Sometimes salvation seems impossible and even scarier than the alternative. What do you mean we have to go through the Red Sea? Don't you know that not all of us can swim? Following God is not always easy, and it does not always make sense. But God is in the salvation business, and we do well to follow. It's such a story of grace when we consider the wider narrative. The people of Israel were not saved because they were innocent people who just happened to end up being enslaved in Egypt. No, they ended up in Egypt through some divine protection, but also through some of their own sinful scheming. They ended up in Israel, because, or in Egypt, because a group of brothers decided to sell their brother Joseph into slavery in Egypt. And yes, as God often does, God worked salvation through that dreadful act, but that's how they got there. And that is how we get into the messes that we find ourselves in. Sin ripples out from one small act. We won't think it will really hurt anyone if we take some money when no one's looking, or we have a relationship on the side, or we seek vengeance, instead of reconciliation, and yet by grace we are saved, which leads us right into the wonder that God is both behind us and before us in mercy, just as the pillars of smoke and fire guided the Israelites into freedom. This is the night on which after having been swallowed by a fish, Jonah is spit out on dry ground. Now, how Jonah ended up in the belly of a fish is another story. He was called to go to Nineveh and proclaim a message of repentance. And we miss out on this, but Nineveh was a bitter enemy of Israel. It would be as if a Ukrainian was told to go to Moscow because God wants to forgive Russia for its atrocities. Not only did Jonah not particularly want to go to Nineveh, he wanted Nineveh's destruction, not its salvation. But how glorious it is that God intends to save not just our friends, but our enemies. And this is such good news to those of us who are so often our own worst enemies. It's a story of grace because Nineveh does not deserve their salvation. They don't even follow God. And Jonah, after his recalcitrance, had earned digestion, not salvation. But God is not as fickle as we are. Though we turn away from promises and commitments, God is steadfast and faithful. And the story of Jonah has always been a favorite for many people, whether it's in art, or in children's Bibles, the story of Jonah is not often overlooked in the same way that most of the other shorter prophets of the Old Testament are. And at least one of the reasons for this is that it is such an unconventional story. The wonder in Jonah 
is that God is perfectly fine with unconventional, if that's what it takes. So don't be surprised if God pursues and saves you with something as unexpected as getting swallowed by a fish and spit out three days later. This is the night when the three young men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, were sentenced to death by fire and saved by the presence of God. How glorious it is to have the blessed assurance that when we go through fiery trials, we do so with God with us. Ultimately, that's what we saw on Good Friday, that God is always with us. As St. Paul puts it in Romans, neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. And those, though these three young men seem quite virtuous, they receive far more from God than can reasonably be expected. That's what grace does. It takes our best and amplifies it into so much more. Perhaps they were hoping for the relief from pain or for a quick death or even some sort of an afterlife. But they received so much more. And that is the wonder of this story from Daniel, that God's presence with us makes all the difference. This is the night in which a rattling was heard in a valley as bone came upon bone. God's glory is seen and the hope for the hopeless, life for the dead, and a future for the forgotten. Clearly, these dead bones are the recipients of God's grace because bones do not ask for or deserve their resurrection. And yet that is what God gives. And this leads to a glimpse of the full wonder of this night, that even in death we can be audacious enough as to expect new life. This is the night on which Jesus Christ is raised from the dead. It is such grand and glorious news that as we will hear Matthew describe it, there's an earthquake. And it wasn't only an earthquake, we might call it a heaven quake or a creation quake. All of time and space reverberate in reply to this same old song of God's glory, grace, and wonder that emanate from Easter. The glory of this night is that we see God is working to renew and refill all things, that all things are being made well, that everything sad is becoming untrue. The word of grace comes from Jesus himself who greets the disciples. The very first word that the risen Jesus says could be translated as grace. It's a joyful greeting that comes from the same linguistic root as the word grace. The message of the resurrected Lord is not one of judgment, for the disciples who rejected and abandoned him during his passion. His first word is not, now it's time to go kick some Roman tail. There is no mistake, no doubt, no fear 
no sin, not even death, that can stand between us and the gracious love of God. The wonder of Easter is that Jesus meets us wherever we are, and he speaks a word of grace, which is just as creative as that very first word, let there be light. Just as liberating as the word, let my people go. Just as restoring as the word, stand up, you dry bones. At the vigil, we see the glory of a very busy God who is sounding the notes of that same old song of salvation throughout the ages. And the best part of this news is that we get to add our voices to this same old song and be swept up in the sound of grace. After we renew our baptismal vows, we will hear St. Paul's words from Romans, that just as we have been baptized with Jesus into his death, we will be raised into resurrection life with him. By baptismal grace, we are named and marked by love as we are gloriously united with Christ and immersed into a world of wonder as we live no longer defined by sin or bound by death, but rather in abundant and eternal life in God. The same old song of God's love continues. We hear it in places like Genesis, Jonah, Daniel, and Romans. It sounds in the lives of Harriet Tubman, Jonathan Daniels, and Desmond Tutu. We hear it in these pews, in our conversations with others, and in the breaking of the bread. This is the night on which the same old song of salvation rings out. And if you can't hear it yet, it will ring loud in and clear in just a few minutes when we shout with joy the message of Easter. <laughs>